Hello there, and welcome to episode number 107 of Blue Jays World Update. I'm your host, Thomas Hall, and let's get you up to date. So, how we feeling, Blue Jays fans? We feeling good? Not good? Really bad? Frustrated? Annoyed? All the above? Okay. I'll stop playing around. I get it. Um, The Blue Jays have come away from the 2022 winter meetings, which were the first in-person winter meetings since 2019, which were also held in San Diego. Uh, They came away from the meetings without a significant transaction to speak about. And understandably so, the fan base is a little irked. There's a little little pissed off with Ross Atkins, Mark Shapiro, and, and Toronto's front office. And that's totally understandable. I don't blame you for feeling any sort of way when you're the Blue Jays sitting here and you're being linked to all these different names, to the Justin Verlanders, Kodai Sengai, Carlos Rodon, Brandon Nimmo, Andrew Heaney, uh, Kyle Gibson, Jamison Tyone, um, and, and then not coming away with any of them. And then you're also seeing Aaron Judge return to the Yankees on a monster nine-year, $360 million contract. You're seeing Trey Turner sign a $300-plus million deal with the Philadelphia Phillies. You're seeing Xander Bogarts. Okay, let's talk about that for a second. Let's, Let's put a pin in the Blue Jays here and talk about one of their division rivals in the Boston Red Sox because as upset as Blue Jay fans are right now, It's not even close to the uproar that is currently going on amongst the Red Sox fan base. And I know most Blue Jays fans probably don't give a damn about how upset Red Sox fans are because, well, they've won a few World Series championships over the last, you know, decade plus. So I sympathize for those of you who feel a certain way in regards to that. But let's just take a peek over to Boston and see how their tire fire is going right now. Because they just lost to Xander Bogarts to the Padres. And it's not even the fact that they, they weren't willing to match San Diego's offer of 11 years and $280 million or 275 whatever ends up being the final number for a guy who's 30 years old. 30. They gave an 11-year deal to a guy who is already 30 years old. So you have that. You have the fact that Boston has now lost over the last few years Mookie Betts and Xander Bogarts when their ownership has been preaching the fact that they couldn't keep Mookie because they needed to create future financial flexibility. Well, they had the financial flexibility, but chose not to use it on one of their franchise pieces. And now, as they sit here on December 8th, 
They have a massive void to fill at shortstop. They have a third baseman and Rafael Devers who has an enormous amount of leverage now because the Red Sox need him more than he needs them. And you combine that with the fact that their starting rotation is still a complete and utter disaster. Their bullpen's better. I'll give them that. I'll give them that. The Blue Jays will have to have to manage with or deal with a much improved Red Sox bullpen that now features Kenley Jansen and Chris Martin. Uh, and they also picked up a really good hitter and Masataka Yoshida, who we've previously talked about uh, in Blue Jays land here. He's a really good hitter that will provide some pop to their lineup, but you're still without one of your one of the best shortstops in the game. And the fact that they weren't willing to come anywhere close to the offer that Bogart signed for makes me believe they're not getting Carlos Correa. And I would kind of be shocked if they got Dansby Swanson. That'd be a, a sizable step down from Bogart. So that wouldn't make any sense. So I don't know what the hell the Red Sox are doing. But that's good news for the Blue Jays because in an AL East division where the Orioles are going to be even better than they were in 2022, the Yankees are, well, the Yankees. You have the Tampa Bay Rays who it really doesn't matter how many names you don't recognize on their roster. They're still going to be good. They're still going to be a threat. So, but I will add to this as well. There's a lesson to be learned here for the Blue Jays. And that is, pay your young superstars before they reach free agency. And that sentiment can be applied to both Bo Bichette and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Especially Bichette, considering how much money these shortstops are earning this winter. And you damn well uh, know that Bichette is taking notice. And that has undoubtedly further complicated contract negotiations between his representatives and the Blue Jays. Now, that's not to say the Blue Jays can't extend Vladi and Bichette. They most certainly can. But as Mark Shapiro said at the winter meetings, it's all about finding the right balance in terms of risk for both the player and the front office. Right now, they haven't found common ground, the Blue Jays, with Bichette and Guerrero. But things can change. And, you know, I, I, I always thought if they were going to sign either one of them this winter, it wouldn't happen until January or February anyway. So, you know, it, it, it was probably never going to happen this early in the offseason to begin with. Um... It's a little concerning just regarding Bichette now because of the position he plays. Um, and to be honest, three years is not a lot of time. It's not. You know, I don't want to be sitting here in 2025 with Bichette and Guerrero both reaching free agency at the same time. Actually, I don't want either of them reaching free agency because... If they do, it's going to be really difficult to retain them. 
It really is. That's just fact. That That is a straight fact. So, it's not panic time yet regarding Bichette or Guerrero, but given what the Red Sox just went through with Bogarts and how they undervalued their shortstop and really thought from spring training onward that they were going to have no difficulty in signing him if he reached free agency and look what happened so that's something I hope the Blue Jays are taking into account with their offseason and how they handle Bichette and Guerrero's futures moving forward so we'll see what happens but again that's that's probably a topic for a later date to really dive into something in again January and February but for now the biggest topic at hand of course is the fact that the Blue Jays still have yet to address their needs in the starting rotation or their massive void and the outfield that was created when Teoscar Hernandez was traded. But it's not like they did nothing at the winter meetings. And, you know, I know it may seem like that because they didn't sign anyone or they didn't trade for anyone. But they did gather a lot of information and that's, a big part of the offseason especially when you're you know at a turning point as the Blue Jays are where you have multiple different paths you can choose um, and they gained a little bit of clarity in regards to where they could move forward this offseason and you know that started with losing one of the potential trade partners that they may have had for their surplus of catchers that being the St. Louis Cardinals who inked Wilson Contreras to a lucrative five-year deal um, at the winter meetings and because of that they're no longer an option for one of Danny Jansen, Alejandro Kirk or Gabriel Moreno but the interesting part about that is a nugget that Sportsnet Shai Davidi wrote about in his latest article and that being an industry source told Shai that the Cardinals never engaged on outfielders Lars Nupar or Dylan Carlson and tried to make a deal around Ryan Helsley who's one of the better high leverage relievers in the game right now but it sounds like they were never truly interested in parting one parting with one of their uh, talented outfielders, whether that be Newbar Carlson or even Canadian Tyler O'Neill, which is mind blowing to me because if you're trying to acquire whether it's Danny Jansen or Kirk or Moreno or even Oakland Sean Murphy. You're not getting anywhere with putting up a closer. You know, there's just not enough value with that in regards to a catcher. Especially, you know, a player of the caliber of any of the four I just mentioned. 
So that is truly baffling to me. And it's no surprise as to why they never got a deal done with either the Blue Jays or the Athletics. Because if you're the Blue Jays, why in the hell would you trade for Ryan Housley and, and part with Danny Jansen? That, that doesn't make you a better team. It, it, it may improve your bullpen even further, but it takes away one of your bullets that you have to address two of your biggest needs right now, which is the starting rotation and the outfield. So you, you, you can't subtract from your depth at catcher for anything less than a starting pitcher or an outfielder. So, you know, as frustrating as it was to see the Cardinals sign Contreras and, and remove themselves from the catching market, it makes a whole lot of sense as to why nothing really materialized between the Cardinals and Blue Jays. It, it, it seems like that was basically a non-starter and it was more something that... Um, you know, the media and, you know, baseball fans dove into more than the respective teams, which again is really interesting to note. Um, now there are other trade possibilities for the Blue Jays here. Um, the Cardinals aren't the only franchise looking to, um, acquire a catcher this off season. You also have the Arizona Diamondbacks, the Minnesota Twins, the Cleveland Guardians, possibly even the Chicago Cubs who just lost Wilson Contreras to a division rival. So, you know, and, and the Blue Jays have had previous discussions with Arizona, Minnesota, and Cleveland um, about a, a potential trade, but... It's unclear as to how intense and prolonged those conversations were, um, but there would be valuable targets on all of those teams for the Blue Jays. You know, we can start in Arizona and look at Dalton Varsho or Alex Thomas, both quality outfielders who have a significant amount of team control. Um, you could even look at somebody like Merrill Kelly, who's a decent starter, who's locked up on a team-friendly deal uh, in the bullpen. Joe Mantiply is a reliever that could really help the Blue Jays as well. So, you know, there are a handful of intriguing targets on Arizona's roster. If we go to Minnesota, an outfielder that comes to mind is Max Kepler, who, you know, I know isn't he doesn't have the best reputation and rightly so because he's an anti-vaxxer so I would be a little conflicted with pursuing him but there's no doubt um, some value behind him as a, a quality defender in right field uh, somebody who can also play a little bit of center as well but his strongest strength is easily in right field where uh, since 2015, he's logged over uh, 5,500 innings in right, earning uh, a plus 46 
defensive runs saved and plus 51 outs above average uh, which is insanely good uh, he, he grades probably you know above average in center field I don't think he would be somebody who could play there regularly just you know uh, someone that would split time with George Springer at that spot um, and offensively he doesn't strike out much and he, he earns a lot of walks which certainly would be beneficial to the Blue Jays lineup um, doesn't hit for contact much at all but he does hit for a decent amount of power and he is somebody as a left-handed hitter who is undoubtedly going to benefit from the shift becoming illegal where you know previously a lot of his hits were taken away on the pull side of the field because defenses were able to stack that right side of the infield and you could see that in his expected numbers where you know his expected average his ex expected slugging and expected woba are all much higher than his um, traditional metrics so you know he's somebody who could be poised for a quality bounce back campaign uh, in 2023 because over the last two seasons his way to runs create a plus has been below league average which stands at 100 you know it was 95 in 2022 and 97 in 2021 but despite all that because of his defense he was still a two-win player in each of those seasons so there's no questioning his defense obviously you know it, it becomes more of a question of ethics and whether or not you want to bring somebody like that onto your team but you can't argue with his production and you know there's there's no doubt the Blue Jays have looked in at least to some degree about Max Kepler whether or not they'll actually, you know, seriously uh, engage in, in, in trade talks with Minnesota and, and have Kepler as the centerpiece of a potential deal is another question, but that's somebody on their roster I would zero in on if I were the Blue Jays. And then if we look to Cleveland, they don't have an outfielder of interest, at least probably one that would they would be willing to part with but they do have some intriguing pitchers that the Blue Jays could um, procure from the Guardians that being uh, Zach Plezak, uh, Aaron Zavalli, two guys who more are, are middle of the rotation guys but could still provide a decent amount of value for the Blue Jays and you know, again, if, if you made Danny Jansen or Moreno available, could definitely uh, get a deal done uh, potentially with them. And then you look at the Chicago Cubs, and, and even though, you know, they've basically been stripped for parts uh, over the last few years, despite adding Cody Bellinger and Jameson Tyone in free agency this year, um, there's still not a lot. Uh, to love about their big league roster but somebody like Ian Happ could be of interest to the Blue Jays um, you know similar to Kepler he's not an everyday center fielder he's more somebody who's going to be in a corner 
outfield spot, but as a switch hitter, he could definitely um, provide some upside to the Blue Jays offense. Um, so, you know, those are four teams to keep an eye on regarding the catching market. Of course, you still have Christian Vasquez out in free agency. Sean Murphy is destined to be traded this winter at some point. Um, it just, it'll be interesting to see whether or not the Blue Jays wait for both of those guys to find new teams before they strike a deal regarding whether it's Dan Jansen, Kirk, or Moreno. But the Blue Jays are also, you know, uh, under the mindset that they could start next season with all three catchers on their roster. You know, and and that's fair. Like, they don't have to trade a catcher. It's uh, it, it would certainly be in their benefit to do so because of how much interest all three have generated uh, this offseason. But by no means are they going to be forced into a trade. You know, like, there's no doomsday clock in the background here where if the Blue Jays don't trade from their catching depth that something bad is going to happen. Now, it's all it would also be more difficult for the Blue Jays to improve their roster without dealing from that strength. Which is why there's you know, the expectation that one of somebody from that group is going to go. It's just, you know, who is it going to be and where are they going to be dealt to and what's the return the Blue Jays are going to receive for it. And, you know, I, I personally think they're going to uh, continue to be patient as they have been thus far, uh, despite, you know, <laughs> the fan base's uh, wishes, but they're not going to rush into a, uh, into a decision here. Um, it wouldn't shock me if both Vasquez and Murphy um, join new teams before the Blue Jays ultimately, um, you know, take a firm stance as to whether or not they're going to deal from their catching spot or... Um, you know, keep all three players um, in the organization. So that's a, a situation still worth monitoring, even though the Cardinals are no longer a potential trade partner. Now, there's still the pitching side that the Blue Jays have to address here. And um, there's still the possibility that Ross Stripling could be re-signed this offseason. But Considering the market that there is for even mid-tier starters, it still seems very unlikely that Stripling is brought back by the Blue Jays because you look at Taiwan Walker and Jamison Tyone and what they received on the open market. You know, four years, $72 million for Walker, uh, four years, $68 million for Tyone. Like, that's insanely high for two guys that, what, on a really good team are your number four pitchers? Like, damn. 
and, and, and also, personally, I did not have Walker earning, even though it was $4 million, I didn't have him earning more than Tyone this winter. That, that, that came as a, a complete shock to me. Um, now, that also speaks to the um, desperateness of the Philadelphia Phillies and aggressiveness um, of, of wanting to solidify their spot in the National League and give them a better opportunity to not only return to the World Series next year, but have a better chance of winning it as well, which, you know, they certainly do after adding Trey Turner. Um, so... I just I have a hard time seeing Ross Stripling not getting a similar deal to both Tyone and, and, and Walker, given how valuable he was last season. Even though he doesn't feature uh, a long history of being a starter uh, in, in the majors, I, I still think, given where the market is right now for starting pitchers. He, he's going to get something in that area of like four years, 70 something million dollars. I, w- I wouldn't be shocked if, if he ultimately signed for that. Um, but I, I just, I don't, I don't see the Blue Jays paying that type of price for him. Um, you know, I see them as more looking in the tier just below the Tyones and Walkers and Striplings. Um, looking more at like Noah Syndergaard, Michael Walker, Drew Smiley, Corey Kluber, even Wade Miley. Um, you know, out of that mix, I really like the seasons that Drew Smiley and Corey Kluber had. Um, you know, I, I know Blue Jays fans got a really good look at Michael Walker last year who played for the Red Sox, but he's probably due for some kind of regression next season because uh, his underlining metrics weren't all that favorable. He had a much higher expected ERA and FIP um, and expected average, expected slugging um, than his traditional metrics. So I'm very, uh, I would be weary uh, about pursuing him. But when it comes to Corey Kluber, like he was a 3-1 pitcher last season and uh, you know that was mainly because he was able to stay healthy and avoided injury so I would not be uh, I I, I would not be upset if the Blue Jays acquired him and then with Drew Smiley uh, he made a bit of an adjustment regarding his pitch uh, usage started throwing more curveballs than sinkers last season which um, really helped him uh, perform much better on the mound because uh, analytically speaking his sinker just isn't a good pitch it doesn't grade well it doesn't generate enough vertical or horizontal movement um, and his curveball you know it, it generates a, a fair share amount of swing and miss 32.7 percent whiff rate last season 29.1 percent strikeouts uh, rate opponents hit just 225 against it, slugged 340. Uh, it had a run value of negative four while he utilized it 40.8% of the time. Um, and, and he also features a decent cutter that um, it has proven to be effective against 
left-handed hitters. Um, so, you know, as, you know, four, number four, five pitcher, Drew Smiley wouldn't be awful, you know, like, he was worth 1.3 Fangraphs wins above replacement, um, over 106 and a third innings with the Cubs last season while uh, performing to a 347 ERA with a 417 expected ERA, uh, 423 FIP as well. And as a left-handed pitcher, you know Drew Smiley would fit really well uh, inside the Blue Jays starting rotation because there's no guarantee of Hunjin Ryu returning next season. Yusei Kikuchi is apparently going to be afforded the opportunity to compete for a rotation spot, but you know, if his struggles continue, he's going to return to the bullpen. So, ideally you would like to have a left-hander in your starting rotation and Drew Smiley would be, you know, that type of guy to provide you production from the back end of your rotation. So, uh, honestly, if the Blue Jays ended up with Corey Kluber and Drew Smiley as their, um, you know, back end of the rotation, I would totally be pleased with that. Um, you know, obviously, they're not as, you know, sexy uh, names as, say, like a Carlos Rodon or a Kodai Sengai or even a Chris Bassett or Nathan Eovaldi, but um, they would still provide a ton of value. Um, for the Blue Jays and uh, by the sounds of it as well it just doesn't seem like the Blue Jays are going to land Rodon or Sengai uh, especially not Rodon because of uh, one he has a qualifying offer attached to him and two he's gonna receive a very um, lucrative deal probably uh, somewhere around 130, maybe even more than that, over five or six years. Uh, again, given how much starting pitchers are earning in free agency at this current point in time. Um, and, and in regards to Sengai, like the Blue Jays have scouted him for a very long time. They have a ton of interest in him, but I don't know how much interest Sengai has in, in, in the Blue Jays. He didn't visit Toronto um, when he tur when he toured um, North America prior to the winter meetings, and you know, based on reports uh, around the situation, the Jays aren't considered as as one of his um, front runners right now. And you know, the same goes for Evaldi and Bassett. And again, it doesn't help that both of those guys are tied to qualifying offers. I think. You know, with the pitchers that are are still remaining in free agency, the only guy that makes sense for the Blue Jays to give up um, a draft pick and international um, signing bonus money is Rodon. And if they're not going to be able to commit another lucrative deal um, to a starting pitcher, then, you know, it, it doesn't make any sense to give up a... Uh, that compensation for Ivaldi or Bassett. Um, so, you know, the, the Blue Jays are going to add to their starting rotation. Like, that, that's, that's not in question at all. They're going to do that, 
obviously. They're not going to start the season with Yusei Kikuchi and Mitch White both in their starting rotation and having nobody um, to compete for those roles. But they're going to probably remain patient and stay on the you know, same trajectory that they've had over the last few winters where the Blue Jays are okay in waiting to make any significant moves until like January, you know, and, and, and to be honest, they're not the only organization who operates like that. You know, the Los Angeles Dodgers do the same, right? They, they have traditionally over the last few winters made the majority of their moves in January and February. So, you know, waiting for the market to play out is not the worst thing to do, especially when, you know, like a lot of the top tier guys that you're looking at, like, you know, Justin Verlander, for, you know, for example, um, are gone, right? There's still Brandon Nimmo, but as of right now, I have a hard time seeing him join the Blue Jays. And I know that sucks to hear because of how perfect a fit he would be with the Blue Jays. But here's the situation. The San Francisco Giants want to get better next season. And they missed out on Aaron Judge. And they didn't land Xander Bogarts. They're in talks with Carlos Correa. But they desperately need to improve their outfield even after acquiring Mitch Haniger. So, you know, I, I just think if they don't sign Correa, that being the Giants, they're probably going to push even harder to land Brandon Nimmo, who would drastically improve their outfield. You know, like, if they added Nimmo, they could potentially have a starting outfield of Jock Peterson, Brandon Nimmo, and Mitch Haniger. That's pretty good, you know? Um, So, I don't see the Blue Jays being as desperate or aggressive as the Giants because, well, their team is better and they don't have to be. But there's still a chance the Blue Jays could land Nimmo, too. You know, if the Giants do sign Correa... And given where the Mets are financially, there is a possibility of Nimmo coming to the Blue Jays. So, you know, we shouldn't take a hard stance at this current moment as to whether or not, one, this offseason is a failure, and two, you know, making any sort of um, determinations on what the Blue Jays outfield or pitching staff is going to look like next season. Um, You know, it's just... (laughs) And it's frustrating to say for Blue Jays fans, I'm sure. It's frustrating to hear as well. But you're just going to have to continue being patient. And that's not easy, right? It's easier said than done for... A fan base that is so passionate. You just... You want some sort of concrete move 
that you can lay your hat on and debate amongst yourselves right and 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 i get that but at the same time as well this is the situation that's going on with the blue jays right now um had andrew heaney taken the blue jays offer there would be a move right there like they were they were at the one yard line and i know you don't want to hear that but they were at the one yard line with heaney and he chose texas over toronto and they were in a similar spot with uh, Kyle Gibson as well before he signed with the Baltimore Orioles for the same offer that the Blue Jays gave him. So, you know, it's not like the Blue Jays are trying. It's not like they're being overly confident like, say, the Boston Red Sox ownership has been in front office. Um, It's just that they're not coming away with any significant transaction from the winter meetings. But, you know, there is one minor transaction that they did make during the minor league phase of the Rule 5 draft. And, shocker, they added another catcher to their um, minor league system. And uh, they acquired him... That being um, K.K. Rios from the Los Angeles Dodgers, who's a 25-year-old catcher, uh, right-handed batter. He was selected in the minor league phase of the Rule 5 draft last winter, being picked up um, from the Milwaukee Brewers. So this is not something new to him. But it is interesting that the Blue Jays would take a flyer on somebody like Rios, who, to me, hasn't really shown a whole lot at this stage of his career. Um, You know, he has been a decent contact hitter at times in the past. Um, At high A with the Brewers in 2021, uh, he posted a 270 average, a 349 BAP, uh, and a 112 weighted runs created plus, but this past year with the Dodgers, he didn't show anywhere near as much promise. Uh, he started the year at high A, slashing 218, 316, 319, with four home runs, 24 RBIs, a 301 Woba, a 102 ISO, and an 83 way to runs created plus. Uh, he finished the year at double A, appearing in three games, making 10 plate appearances, but um, again, didn't really show a whole lot. Um, you know, he went uh, two for eight over those three games, uh, getting a pair of walks, striking out once, uh, you know, like just. Offensively, I don't know how much the Blue Jays will get out of him in 2023. Uh, defensively, he's okay. Um, you know, he, he's got a decent arm, uh, respectable pop time behind the plate. But at 25 years old, I don't really know what to expect from him. But honestly, you probably shouldn't because most players selected in the minor league phase of the rule five draft don't really amount to a whole lot so 
it's just interesting that uh, the Blue Jays of all teams who, you know, are at the forefront are uh, of looking to subtract from their catching depth, they add uh, another player um, to that mix organizationally. So it's just, it's a little funny, you know, because it's like, of course, they would add a catcher to their team um, because, hey, you can never have enough catchers in baseball, which, like, fair. That's that's a true true uh, statement. But um, it is it, it was a little funny to see them make that move um, during the Rule 5 draft on Tuesday. So, um, yeah, like, that's, you know, that that's something at least uh, as, you know, uneventful as it was. That's something that we can talk about here um, a little bit when it, when it comes to depth and, and a move, uh, for the Blue Jays, but, um, you know, again, I, I don't expect them to do any significant business officially, uh, until the new year, and, you know, again, that, that's not something the fans want to hear, um, you know, considering how eventful the winter meetings were, and how little, um, transactions the Blue Jays made, um, and, and the last thing you want to hear is that, you know, you have to wait at least, you know, three more weeks until you may see a, a move from the Blue Jays. But at the same time as well, that's the whole part of, of, of you know, being patient and, and letting the market, both free agency and trade, um, in trade, uh, come to you. So you may not like how the, brood, how the Blue Jays operate, but it's not out of the ordinary for them. They've performed this way over the last few years, and they're not about to change how they approach the offseason. So um, we'll just have to wait and see what moves they actually make. And of course, that will test the patience of the fan base, but that's just how it goes, right? So, um, but that does it for this week's episode. I hope all of you will join me next time for another edition of Blue Jays World Update. And if we don't speak before the holidays, because, well, if the Blue Jays don't make a move, it might be a little difficult to talk about something during the podcast. So if this is the final one before the holiday break, let me wish everyone happy holidays, Merry Christmas, whatever you celebrate. And thank you for listening.